with Tales from a Gemini. I am so excited. First of all, it's about the day after my birthday, man. And, and my birthday was great. Set it off great. It started out last, actually last Tuesday. I was in Birmingham, Alabama, and I rode, uh, I did a track day at California Superbike School. And this, and this all comes around full circle because California Superbike School, I learned to be, I'm trying to be a better rider. And it's amazing because my guest today is the Deion Sanders of riding. This guy, there's not a, a type of riding he hasn't done. He's the Cycle News Moto Journalist. I, like I said, I call him Deion Sanders. He didn't choose the bike life. The bike life chose him. This guy won Pike's Peak. I, I have producers here. They don't do a damn thing, Remy. Uh, Remy uh, but they, they don't know what Pike's Peak is. It's one of the hardest races ever. This guy won it. I saw the video. I was damn near in tears, man, because it was so emotional. But anyway, he needs no introduction. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest for today, Mr. Rennie Skatesbrook. Rennie, how you doing, buddy? Hey, man, how's things? <laughs> things are great. I, like we were just talking before the show, I was like, why aren't we best buddies? I'm looking you up. I'm trying to get some, you know, a little info, a little intel on you. And I'm going, this guy rides everything. He's having a ball. I mean, it's like I remember watching you give an interview, a little bit of a snippet of an interview, and you were like, I just can't imagine what life is without motorcycles. And I'm like, yes. To me, my life is A, B, and B, B, after bikes and before bikes. And to yeah. me, you know, and after you ride a motorcycle, I don't know how you can't be a dick. Yeah, I mean, my, my life is is always AB, like from the time when I first popped out. <laughs> so, come from a come from a bike fan. My my mum always said to me that I wasn't she didn't give birth to me. I rode out. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know what? We'll tell people that because I looked it up, and what was so amazing? It's not so much. And no disrespect to your grandpa or your mom or, or your dad. They rode, but I thought what was fascinating was your mom rode. She didn't just ride; she raced. Oh yeah, yeah. Like I mean, I, I'm third generation now, but yeah, mum, uh, mum used to race back in the like early 70s or so and um yeah race the cb 500 um 100 cb 500 in production races in sydney and um yeah i mean dad's a pretty famous racer back in the day grandpa was a motocross champion and so it's sort of like it's in your blood. Kind of, I kind of fell into it, really. I didn't really have much of a choice. <laughs> like I said, the bike life chose you, man. You had no choice but to get on the motor. When mom rides, that's when I go, that's a serious family. I saw that picture of your mom, hair coming out yeah. of, her, of the back of her helmet. And I'm like, this lady is badass. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she rocks, man. Yeah, she's, uh, she's got an MTS7 Yamaha now. And, um, yeah, she, she sold a – she had a Ducati Monster for a while, and then she sold that, bought the MTS7. And, and man, she's um, – so many miles on that thing it's crazy like just loves it it's pretty cool <laughs> that is uh, is that how your uh, your mom and dad met is that how they met yeah well my mom and dad met because um my dad used to own a honda dealership in sydney uh -huh. and um yeah they mum bought the mum bought the honda in for servicing and the rest is history <laughs> <laughs> and, and dad put the mac daddy on her is that what he did yeah, yeah, <laughs> okay <laughs> you that way like that way <laughs> So how did dad do it then? I mean, how did he keep his professionalism? But somehow like, so uh, would you like to ride together? Would you uh, maybe tea or? I have no idea. I don't want to know, man. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I'm just the end result. <laughs> so you don't want to know that, that mom could have yeah, no. me mom could have me too, dad. You never be here. You don't want to know that. Oh, yeah, yeah, no way. <laughs> Man, that is so great. Okay, so now you're born. So you're uh, by the way, you're from Sydney, Australia. And that's why I knew this interview was gonna be I called you yesterday just to, you know, touch base. And when I heard the accent, I go, Yeah, it's gonna be good. For some reason, I get along with you Aussies. I don't know what it is about you Aussies and bike riding. What is it about you Australians? And you guys have the biggest balls when it comes to riding bikes, man. You guys put it out there. Jack Miller, the Lawrences, uh, Chad yeah. Reed. I mean, what is it about Australians and motorcycling? I, I don't know. I've thought about this a lot. Like, we have a, a bit of a smaller population considering the size of the country. Like, if you, you put Australia and America over top of each other, they're roughly the same size. But we have, you know, 10% of the American population, really, is 20, I don't actually know, it's about 30 million or so people in America, in Australia. So we have a lot of space to go riding. And um, there's a lot of, there's a really cool scene in, in everything, everything from road racing to motocross to freestyle motocross. You know, we've got some of the best freestyle motocross riders in the world, like Josh Sheehan and Robbie Madison and all those boys. And um, there's a little bit of a screw loose mentality, I think, <laughs> <laughs> Kind of like, oh, I'll screw it. Let's go and see what happens. And, um, but yeah, we've in, especially like where I'm from, within you know, two, two and a bit hours north and south, there's been some serious riders that have come out of that, that area. And I mean, Chad Reed and, and uh, Casey Stoner, um, the, the Cutland brothers, and down south, you've got, you know, Jane Mar the, the Marmont brothers, the Goberts, um, Josh Brooks, Crew Halliday, you know, guys that are. And then you go a bit the other way and, you know, a few hours west, you've got Toby Price. And, oh, um, my God, I love Toby Price. You know, the, the, the factory sort of turns on pretty well. And then you go fully the other direction. You go all the way north and you get guys like, you know, um, Jack Miller and, uh, and then a whole bunch of guys that have came out. I think Todd Waters, not Todd Waters, um, Mitch Evans, the motocross Grand Prix racer, yeah. like they're all from up that way. And, yeah, so there's a lot of... There's a lot of areas to ride. There's a lot of cool places to go and see. And yeah, there's uh, we like being outdoors, so we like riding bikes. And do you have do you have a rider envy? When all that talent there, do you have like rider envy? Like, do you feel like you should have been like, man, I could have been one of those guys. I could have been a contender. I should be a household well, name. Man, one of the most humbling things I ever did was be on the same track at the same time as Chad Reed. Oh, and, uh, how did that go? How did that go? That was awful. <laughs> like, I mean, he, he, uh, he and I used to be in the same club when we were juniors, and um, we were in, he actually, we actually didn't race together, we didn't practice together because uh, mm -hmm. he was so much faster than everybody else that he right. actually got bumped up a couple of grades when he was a junior. And he came past me and just sucked the stickers off the bike. You know, it was just like, <laughs> I got nothing for this guy, man. This is ridiculous. And then he just and then then he just made the rest of Australia look like that. And then he came over here and. Yeah, ended up being Chad Reed. <laughs> the rest is history. God, and that was yeah. and that was a motocross, right? That was a motocross, right? Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. Yeah, that was actually not far from where Casey Stoner and all those guys grew up. It was in that same kind of little area, uh, West 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 Wylong, I think it's called um, West Walsen. Sorry, one of the two. Um, yeah, but it was uh, there was a lot of good riders that came out of that factory. That's for sure. Okay, so let's go back to to the genesis. When did you first set your foot over a bike? I was, uh, I think I was three. Three. Um, yeah, yeah. So I got my, my, I got my first bike on my fifth birthday, but I was riding 
um, a friend's little Honda QR50, um, you know, the little Honda equivalent of the Peewee. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, rode that thing for a bit. Um, got my first bike at five and started doing just like little friendly competition things uh, at a local track when I was seven or eight. And it was always, it was always just a fun thing. You know, like my, my old man has had sort of gone in and out of racing and had been very successful in his own right, but it was never going to be uh, racing was never going to be a profession. Like it was like, we, we kind of lived in the, in one way we sort of lived to suburbia really for the racing. Uh, we didn't really have the money to fund it on a professional level. Mm -hmm. Like there's all the, all the things. And it was just, my parents wanted to keep riding as a fun thing, um, which I was kind of happy about because like at the time I wasn't, but like, you know, like <laughs> as, as you get older and you get a bit wiser, I see, I mean, I've got a four year old boy now and I see the, I see the logic in what they were trying to do. And, and it's sort of, the good thing is, is that it kept us, kept the love of going at, you know, like it, yes. it, it, it's always there. And um, yeah. So I, I just kind of, I actually fell out of bikes for a couple of years when I was in my early twenties. I didn't ride for a couple of years. What happened? Did you go to jail? Were you locked up? What happened? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> that coincided. Like I had, there was, um, I'd stopped road racing and I did road racing. I tried to be a road racer pretty, pretty seriously for a couple of years, basically ran myself broke. And, um, and at the same time, one of my friends, my close mates was, uh, uh passed away in an accident and, uh, in a racing accident and I don't know, I just kind of coincided with the, Hey, I'm 20 years old. I'm going out partying phase and bikes didn't really. And I was living in a house with a bunch of people and got really into music. And I just was like, whatever I, I was, I had two years and by, by the end of, um, sorry about that. My no. phone's just off there. No um, uh, yeah, like I had two years off and then I, my friend that I was living with at the time, uh, we were both like, and he was like my first bike friend from when we were seven years old. He's still my best friend now. And, mm -hmm. and uh, we were just like, what the hell are we doing? And then we just went straight out and bought super bikes. <laughs> and, uh, and then it all kicked off again. <laughs> that was about 20 years ago. <laughs> okay, so, so tell me during that phase that you were out of bikes and you were living in a house and partying, tell me you didn't buy a guitar. You were that guy who bought a guitar and would sit and, and, and make up a folk song so girls could go, oh my God, were you that uh, guy? Uh, <laughs> I got into DJing. Um, Did you really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I started playing clubs and all that. And yeah, I got super into it. Like, I mean, I spent every spare cent I had on <laughs> on records and whatever. And, <laughs> what was your I music? Mean, what, was your, what was your favorite music at the time? Your favorite music at the time? Uh, it was all trance, hard trance music. Yes. Like, yeah, that's my favorite music now. Like, oh, who was your, uh, who was your favorite? Oh, jeez. Back in the day, probably Jamex and DeLeon. Um, Jeez, DJ Dean, a lot of guys that have kind of, a lot of guys out of Germany that had basically, they're all sort of past the game now, like Cosmic Gate, they're still around. They were a big, big sort of influence. And um, yeah, it's sort of, I've actually finally enough started to get back into it. And it's in the pandemic, just like bought, bought a whole bunch of equipment again and started doing it again. <laughs> no, are you I serious? Want, yeah, yeah. I want, I want the boy to start playing a bit as well because the boy's so obsessed with writing that I want him to try and do something else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, honestly, what you should do, the way the technology is now, you should try to incorporate the sound of a motorcycle starting with that ooh, 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 
boom, boom, and call it the, the call it uh, beats, uh, bike beats. That's what you call it, bike beats. You have a whole a whole album just just boom, boom, woo, woo, boom, boom, woo, woo. Now, how great would that be? I'm Wait, telling you, Randy, come on. Oh, you got the idea, man. You had to trademark that. <laughs> Dude, the, the start of a Ducati. Matter of fact, that's, that's my ringer on my phone when people call me is a Ducati starting up. At the sound of a Ducati oh, yeah. starting up. Yeah, the MotoGP Ducati starting up. So if you take that to start the song off, like, whoa, and then you put a boom, 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 boom. Yeah, Come on. How great would that? And then do a MotoGP after party, and you're spinning yeah. records, and people know you because you're a legend, bro. So they would give you that ultimate respect. I'm telling you, man, Red Bull after party, you spinning records. They go, wait a minute, Rennie is at the after party? He's spinning records? I mean, the bike beats guy? Oh, we got to go. Yeah, we got to go, man. Winning. Good formula. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, man, I, you know, when we get off of here, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about yeah. it. How great would they? Yeah. And they'd have a song called uh, Two Stroke Love. And just kind of ying, ying, boom, 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 ying, ying, boom, 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 ying, 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 boom, 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 ying, 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 ying. How great would that be? You're winning. Oh, man, you could, you could even throw it another way and just do like an electric bike where you just said, it's a, it's a whole track of you not hearing anything. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, it's totally mine. <laughs> it's, a, it's a whole track of you not hearing a damn thing. Like, what was that? Oh, that was the the electric race bike beat. <laughs> <laughs> It was, a, it was a fast track, too. <laughs> Man, that would be so great. The reason I say the two tracks, uh, the, the two stroke song is I just bought, and I, I think that's why I'm connected with it, is that I just bought me a, one, a YZ 125, 2006 YZ 125, nice. two stroke. Wow. I can't wait to ride. It's getting, um, my mechanics looking it over, but I got all the, all the gear. I'm so ready. Right. I'm so ready. I, had one of, I got one of those for my, when I was 16. Um, my, my old man bought me. 98 was it 125 that was that was my last new dirt bike before i went road racing <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, okay if you had to pick any discipline because you've done it all and we'll get to the journalism part you've done it all but if you had to pick if you had to pick a style of riding if you had to pick what would it be one one bike you say no no a style of riding because you you've done the road racing oh, right. and you've done motocross what, what would it be road racing for sure really yeah, yeah. It, it, it's i I always loved, um, I always loved motocross, but I just sucked at it. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was awful, dude. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, I love going and watching moto. Like, I went out to the AMA National the other day out at um, Parlour, and, and I love the physical aspect of motocross, but I'm just crap at it. So, I, like, after um, uh, I started to get into flat track and like the speed of it. And back in Australia, we ended up, there, there was a race series, which was all about, um, it was grass track motocross. So like we would go out to, these guys had these huge paddocks and um, they would they would set up these like two mile long natural terrain motocross courses. Yes. As well. And um, and I always did well at those things because it was just like hold the thing on the stops. And you know, when other guys were backing off, I was still going. And I was like, the hell with this, I want to get a road race. And so, um, <laughs> Yeah, I got into doing that, and it's it's worked out good in that the job sort of helps that side of things because of you know I'm always on a road bike, so I get more used to riding road bikes, and obviously road riding on the street is different to riding on a track, but you know the, the similar similar sort of skill set in a way, and um, 
so yeah, I've, and I've just managed to get better at it, I guess, just through doing more than anything. Um, but that, and I also, I've got a supermoto downstairs and that's, I think in terms of sheer fun level. Yes. It's pretty hard to beat, man. Like yes. supermoto went wild. Um, so it's, it's just things I'm just going to say. Yeah, in terms of just like laugh your ass off fun, man. Supermoto is yeah. awesome. <laughs> okay, so let's go with that. Now, when, when did you decide to become a moto journalist? I mean, you were finding yourself during your hippie stage where you weren't riding, then you finally got back into superbikes. So when did you become like a moto journalist and um, want to write about bikes? Well, I'd actually, a uh, bit of a whole like life sort of awakening, I guess, at the time. I was mm-hmm. uh, I was a mechanic for, my, my, my actual, again, family is, to give you a bit of background, my family's been involved in writing for a very long time. Dad's a very accomplished writer and actually has his own magazine. Um, but it was never to sort of follow what dad did. I was like, I just liked writing. And so I'd actually gone to, I actually backpacked around Europe in 2006 and um, was went to a bunch of races, a bunch of MotoGPs and whatever. And, and I wrote, I ended up writing these really long emails back to, to uh, friends back home. And then guys were saying, oh, it was actually entertaining. I was like, Okay, cool. I didn't do anything of it. And um, then my then girlfriend I was living with at the time, she uh, was a secretary at one of the big colleges in Sydney that was very renowned for journalism. And and I was a mechanic at the time, and I was hated every second of it. It was just a, just wasn't for me. Yeah. Um, and I'd already and I'd been qualified for a few years, so it was very difficult to get out of it because you went from earning no money as an apprentice to all of a sudden earning pretty good money and then you're like well hang on i've just done all this work how do i get out of this and i was like well the only way i'm going to change my life is if i change my life really and so i negotiated with the job at the mechanics to do part-time and then i started going to college and within a year like the 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 diploma for journalism was two years and then and within the end of the first year i got offered a job to be a uh like a junior at a magazine and um and I went into the careers counselor and I said, look, I've been offered this job. What do you think? And he says, well, look, this is, is this the job you want? I'm like, yeah, he goes, get out of here. I'm like, all right. <laughs> so I signed the papers and off I went. <laughs> and that was the end of 2007. And um, yeah, I managed to sink, sink a pretty cool job at um, what was then called Rapid Bikes Magazine. It's no longer around, um, which was all modified street bikes and super bikes and that kind of stuff. And and I remember one of the craziest moments of my life. Like, I the first launch, um, like anyone who's familiar with press, uh, how how the press kind of works is like a lot of launches get done, product launches. So you'll see us riding off in far off places and wherever. And and I was sitting. Uh, I got my first launch was the first KTM superbike, the RCA oh, superbike. Yes, I've and, ridden it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I got the first invite for that in Spain from Sydney. And I remember I, I got to the hotel, which is a, like, it's a very famous hotel on top of Malaga in Spain. It's in like, so I've seen it in all over the world and in photos. And, and I remember sitting out on the bloody bench uh, on the deck, looking over the, the, the countryside in Spain. I was like, man, six weeks ago, I was getting shat on by a bloody van with all the diesel oil dripping on my head. And I was like, Hey, that's this is cool. I like this. <laughs> so, so, so at that point, I was like, "Yep, no, nope, nope, we're going back to that." So, 
that's beautiful. I mean, honestly, that's like a life. It's almost like a life lesson in a way. I mean, I know it's like, I don't know if you, you realize that, but it's like you weren't really, I'm, I'm just paraphrasing, but you weren't really happy. You didn't really nah, care for what you're doing. And then you kind of fell into that. And that's where that you went like, this is what I want to do. Yeah, it was kind of like you had to. I always liked the process of writing and creating and that kind of stuff. And um, and I like marrying my love of motorcycles with the creative side. And um, But it was a definite like conscious decision that like if I don't stop doing this thing that's making me unhappy, then God knows what's going to happen in the long run. Because I'd already said to myself that as soon as I got qualified as a mechanic, I was going to leave. And that was three years prior to that because the money just became so good it was impossible to leave. So I was like, what am I going to do? I'm just going to keep sitting there being like this, being miserable. And I was like, screw it. So I had two years of, well, because the first paying job at bike and bike mag was drastically less than what I was making. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, like, I didn't care. Uh, well, like I was rocking around on super bikes and getting flown around the world, and I think it was never doubted the the uh, decision for a second. So it was it was definitely the right way to go. But you know, it's it's so cliche when they say follow your passion and the money will follow. And it's like, and, and that's what you did. I mean, people don't realize how hard that is because there's a lot of people who were just like, like what you were doing, you know, uh, not really happy, but that job's going to pay a lot of money and money really doesn't necessarily make happiness. And you weren't really happy. And then you found your, and like you said, you found your job, you weren't making a lot of money, but you were happy. You're riding yeah, bikes. Sure. I mean, the funny thing was like, it was the right time to do it as well. Like, ironically like my, the girlfriend I was with we actually broke up like basically the week of me joining the college <laughs> like, what did you do what did you do yeah, like, uh, I'm going to class now <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but no we um, it was the right time because I didn't have any major financial commitments didn't have family or any of that stuff and it's like well this is going to be the, the easiest time and, and then at the end of that year I met my well, remet my now wife and and like so it was the right time to do it. It was um, don't worry, like trust me, it was tough. Like financially, it was like for a year I didn't have anything, and I was back to what I was doing when I was the first year of mechanic. But it was I was twenty three at the time, twenty four. So you know you kind of hope that by that stage you, you know, have to tie your shoes and put your underwear on. And so <laughs> at that stage, I was coming back to being a baby again. <laughs> and, uh, once I got through that, I was all right. But yeah, it was a conscious decision to make it work. And once I'd done it, it was God, it was a bit of a relief because once you commit to something, I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to go back to being a being unhappy? You're going to do it? You might as well go full send on it. So that's what we did. Exact, dude. I mean, exactly. It's like I try to tell these people, and I look, and I always look for this when I do this show, is to try to have that story or that that because everybody has a story to tell, and it's like that one moment. It's always that one moment in life. Where it's like, okay, you got to go all out. If not, then you're going to be miserable. And you did it. You took that chance. And now look at you. I mean, honestly, yeah. you take a chance. Now look at you. You won Pike's Peak. I mean, you, I, I, honestly, and this is where we connect is that my bike, my bike is a 2016 uh, multi-strata Pike's Peak. That's the bike. I swear to God, I was looking for what bike to, to, to get. I wanted a new bike. I was riding a Gixxer 750, which I loved, but I wanted to ride something different. I wanted something different. Everybody, everybody had a sport bike. Everybody had a Harley, and I wanted something in between. You know, I wanted, I knew I wanted to travel, but I still want to look sporty. 
And I was looking for, but I looked and I saw the Honda Twin. I was like, okay. I saw the BMW. And I, when I saw that Pikes Peak Multistrata, it, my, heart, my heart literally went like, when you see that woman of your dreams, you go, that's her. And I did that yeah, to that yeah. bike. And I saved up for years. And I finally got it. And man, it, it, it was like such an awakening. So like, I always tell people, I'm a wannabe. I mean, if I'm, a, I'm a wannabe. That's why I love talking to you guys, because you guys did it. So what, what part of you said, I want to ride Pikes Peak? Not even ride, but I want to race Pikes Peak and win it. Well, we, so I'm giving a bit of background. And look, I moved to America in 2015. And um, like, I think I landed here in March. And then in June of that year, uh, in what was Victory, you know, Indian motorcycle. Yes. They were, they were running at Pikes Peak with um, Don Kinney, um, a cycle world journalist. And when Roland Sands built a bike for him and the Project 156. And so India or Victory um, were also released. I don't know if you remember the Victory Impulse, the electric bike, the very short-lived electric bike. <laughs> which is probably a good thing. <laughs> the... Uh, they uh, flew us all out to Colorado to go and ride this thing and said, oh, by the way, we're going to play to speak. And I was like, oh, sick, because I'd, I'd heard about it. I'm obviously, I'd seen a lot of, like, uh, the, I don't know if you ever, have you ever seen the climb dance video, the Ari Vartman climb dance video no. back in the day? No. Oh, dude, you've got to see that. That's okay. one of the coolest motorsport films ever made. It's it's a rally video of Pikes Peak back in when Pikes was all dirt and they're driving group, I think it's a group B or group C rally car, up Pikes Peak, it's just mind-blowing. I remember watching that when I was, God, I must have been 10. It used to get shown on on loop on wide water sports in Australia, and I was like, that's cool. But yeah. I didn't know the bikes could race it. And and then I actually found out a couple of years prior to moving out here that bikes could race it. So I sent off a couple of emails to the organiser and said, oh, how do I do this? I reckon it'd be fun. And uh, anyway, they, you know, usual, usual bullshit of like, you know, we've got to go and, you got to have a team, you got to have this, you got to have that. And I had no idea what I was doing. So anyway, we, we turned up to, to Pikes in 2015 and I just saw the place and like, yep, yeah, doing that. And it was one of those things where I just like, I just knew I could do it, I guess. And because, I and mean, then this doesn't reflect real good on the, the law abiding side of the job, but like we had some pretty serious road rides as a bike, as a about press launches and, you know, tested bikes or whatever, where like a few times if we'd been busted, it would have been pretty serious <laughs> trouble. So I was already quite comfortable with going fast on the road. Yeah. And I just saw that. And I was like, man, that's cool. And, and as soon as I came back from that, I rang up KTM and said to them, I want to race the Super Duke of Pikes Peak. And nobody, I mean, shockingly to me, like no one had come up with the idea because I was looking at the Super Duke and I'm like, that is the perfect bike for that thing. And yes. So yeah, I was like, I want to do it, and they went, yeah, okay, cool. And they and back that was back when there were a few racing budgets around, and <laughs> yeah, you know, they were they. I mean, KTM. I mean, I've been very lucky with my stuff with KTM and Aprilia, where it hasn't cost me anything, um, and I've had real, like incredible sponsors to help me and make this sort of dream a bit of a reality. And and so yeah, we went there the next year, myself and Tom Mowen, who is the one of the main guys in KTM USA, and. It was just us out the back of a U-Haul van. And, yeah, we rocked up there and uh, put the thing on pole the first year. Um, wow. I'd, and I've, I should have won that one, to be honest, and I threw it into the wall at the top of Elk Park. And 
How'd you do? How'd you do that? How'd you do that? How'd you throw it into the wall? I mean, because I watched a video of you going up. Well, how? Yeah, just exactly how? Like, what'd you do wrong? I. It was a classic case of, of um, not being prepared. It was. It was a series of poor decisions uh, throughout the day, and not being calm, not being in the right headspace at the time. So, just a lot of little things that we'd screwed up. Uh, especially with timing things because um, you've got to be bike starts really, really early on race day. Like you're on the mountain at three in the morning kind of oh. thing. And, and uh, I mean, you're at, you're on the mountain at four in the morning practices anyway, but it's a very high pressure kind of area. And, um, you know, we just, we weren't in the right spots at the time where we needed to be to tick this box and, you know, cross that T. And, and so I rocked up to the grid and I wasn't really in the right headspace. And then I, felt like I was doing very poorly in the first half or oh, first third of the run, but I was actually five seconds in front. And I came up to Elk Park is the first really scary corner. Like it's the first point where the trees basically fall away um, and you really start to really start to climb. And wow. yeah, you can go through there at, I mean, I don't know. I don't know the speed exactly, but I went through there in like just flat out as fast as I could make the thing go. And I hadn't done that in practice before because I was like, man, I've got to make up time. And I came through there and I got through it, but I got to the end of it and I was going about 60 mile an hour quicker than what I had previously <laughs> in practice. So I was like, Bruh. and I basically tried, I had two choices of like try to lay the thing down and just hope I don't, you know, crush myself or try and, basically dirt track it into the hay bales and rebound off. And I almost managed, and I did it, uh, like I just like hit the rear brake and just jammed on it and tried to drift it into the into the hay bales. And I almost managed to keep it up, but I sort of bounced off and went over the cliff. And um, like, I didn't go over the cliff, but I was like leg on the edge kind of thing. And so, I mean, I, as far as crashing at that place, I just hit the complete jackpot. Um, it could have been so much worse. Oh. Um, and yeah, so that was, that was a case of me just not being calm and not thinking things through. And so that, that was a big life lesson out of that one. And, and then, yeah, so we went back the next year. Um, and that was really, really good fun 2017 because we had Chris Fulmore, uh, who's a really good friend of mine. And yes. the pressure was on him because Chris is the golden boy in Katie. Like, uh, for me, all I had to do was be the backup player and I knew it. Um, so we, Chris had to break the record and sure enough, he did. I backed him up for his second and we, between the two of us, we got, we were the first two guys, I think, to go under 10 in the team. I don't know. I can't remember. There was some kind of weird record. But so you were like yeah, his Scotty, was, like he was Michael Jordan. You were like his Scotty Pippen. Kind of, yeah, a bit like that, basically, yeah. And, um, I mean, it was just so much fun. Because, like, I had, all I had to do was not crash the thing and try and stick it on the box, and, and sure enough, we did. And so that was really good fun. And then the next year, we had uh, myself and Carl and Dunn go head-to-head. And, um, and, yeah, Carl beat me by six-tenths of a second. Which wow. Oh, that must have hurt. That must have hurt. Still does. But, uh, <sighs> I mean, Carlin Carl was such a gentleman that you could never be, you could never be annoyed at him. And it's just like he just beat me straight up, and 
Um, how long did that eat at like, you? How long did that eat at you? I mean, after it was over. I mean, like I said, I mean, it's situations like that. Of course, you can't be mad at the person, and it, it, but it, it had to gnaw at you for that. For, for the, <laughs> I hate losing. <laughs> I mean, and to lose like by six tenths of a second after ten minutes, where you're putting your neck on the line for ten straight minutes, is like pretty hard pill to swallow but look whatever I mean there's always a winner and there's always a loser and that was the one and that was me in the end so um it was there was a bunch of things that didn't go right that year like we had the I, I still believe we had the wrong tire on there um there's a bunch of crashes that happened so that's the thing too with pikes is like crashes and delays and all that stuff because you're you're constantly worried about the weather being on a mountain obviously so the, everything was looking real good and there was a big crash and then we waited for ages for this crash to be cleared and as that time this cloud just came over the top and just basically blanketed at the bottom of the midsection of the circuit dropped the track temperature right down and at that point the the tire basically didn't work for the midsection and oh uh, I didn't so know. yeah that, and Carlin rode his ass rode his ass off as well and um, yeah I mean being the legend of years, he like came up to me afterwards and said, look, that was the hardest he's ever had to ride there to, to beat me. So I guess that was a, a, a consolation, I guess. And then, and then, yeah, we won in 2019. And, but you know, that was a, that was tinged with a lot of sadness, obviously. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I, was, yeah I, don't, I don't know if you really want to get into that, but how did it, now did you know beforehand or afterwards uh, what had uh, happened? Yeah. Um, well, it, it was, it was kind of weird because like our, objective for that first year or for the Aprilia we knew that Ducati were going to turn up with basically a, a stripped panigale which is what they did uh, it was called the the street fighter prototype or whatever it was but it was a panigale a v4 panigale with high handlebars on it which meant they had to be put into the exhibition class they had way more horsepower than we did and on the Aprilia we had a we had a 210 Aprilia which is a beautiful little bike um, but it was uh, it wasn't the same league engine wise as what Carl was running. So for us, the main thing was to, to win the heavyweight class and to try and get the record in the heavyweight class. Um, whatever happened in the overall is whatever happened. And so I got to the top, um, you know, broke the record and all that, won the class. And so as far as I was concerned, it was job done. And um, I was expecting Carl to come ripping across the line and to have broken the overall record and you know we would have sat there and sang Gumbaya together but uh, um, yeah well, I was doing the, the interview and then because we only that I can't remember if at the back of the the grid they spaced them out further but when you get to the last sort of five or six riders they only space them out by a minute mm-hmm. it might be the same all the way through I'm not sure mm-hmm. so the gaps are and you know obviously if the riders are faster they're not going to close on the same rider in front as quickly as a guy maybe at the back who is quicker. So we would get to, I was sitting there doing an interview and I was like, hang on, this has been five minutes since I crossed the line. Like where the hell's Carl? And, and then, you know, we saw the helicopter come over and I was like, oh, God damn it. And then, you know, but then it's Chinese whispers sort of kept coming through and, and, uh, you know, things that he was all right, that he had a broken leg, that he was wrecked, that he was like every bloody conceivable thing. And then, yeah, unfortunately about two hours later, we got delivered the news and yeah, it was bloody awful. So um, really put a tinge on the, on the whole event. Um, 
I mean, for us, like, we worked really well. The Aprilia team worked really well as a team. Like, we had a real race team. You know, that was the first time, really, that I'd had a proper full-blown team where I had crew chiefs and bloody data guys and chassis guys and mechanics and tyre guys and all this sort of stuff. It was a big team. And so, for us, we, we achieved every objective that we wanted to. But... Yeah, it doesn't mean it. Does I mean? Yeah, it does mean something because we did what we did. But like, it overall, like everyone remembers it, and fair enough too for, for the passing of a great man. And um, and but, but yeah, and it was a shame too because it, I just can't see maybe bikes ever getting back there, um, which is the last thing that Carlin would have wanted. So now, yeah, is that wanted. is that why though? Is that why they're not gonna bring bikes back? Is it because of his accident? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know that actual administrative reason i mean i suspect that it's because of insurance that's just my theory yeah um but the you know i remember being told every practice session i was like because like there had been a couple of deaths like the last death was in 2015 there was very very nearly another death in 2016 ironically at the same corner that i crashed at it was a different guy and um so and there was a death in 2013 as well i think so unfortunately, I mean, it was a, it was a kind of a game where there were a lot of major injuries, and they were all bikes um, versus the car versus the car guys. So, so that sort of played against us a little bit. Um, that and also, and I did feel a bit bad for the car guys because every time we the bikes would always get the best weather, which was from I think it started at eight, and by the time it got to about ten ten thirty was when bikes were finished, and then it was it went so it went from the slowest, the fastest bike, and then the fastest to the slowest car. Okay. So the fastest car's got the best weather. By two o'clock, like the the mountain was covered in cloud and it was raining, and it happens every single day. So all the guys that sat at the bottom and the car guys never got to have a decent crack at the run because they just tried to fit too much into the race. Yeah. Uh, too, many, too many bikes. The, the bike should have been run on another day, and, and everyone would have been would have been happy. But, uh, yeah, so it was. There's a whole bunch of things, but like, yeah, I suspect it's probably because of insurance. But I don't know. Knows. So I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever find out. And to be honest, it doesn't really matter. Now, is, is, is it a bittersweet kind of thing for you? Because you did win it. It was a goal achieved. But is but because of what happened? Is I mean, how does that play out in your mind? I mean, if you ever get in that quiet place and you think about like, yeah, I won it, but there's also this happened. Yeah, I mean it's. I don't know. It, it, it's hard because, like, we, I mean, Carlin, Carlin and I were, were mates. You know, we weren't, weren't going to give him this moment, ran up to sing bloody Merry Christmas to each other, but like, we, <laughs> we were good mates. Like, we, 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 we would go riding together. I mean, like, the, like a week before, we we all went to Colorado, myself and Chris and Carlin were out riding Supermoto together uh, and just hanging out and having fun. And, um, and he was such a lovely guy uh, that, I mean, look, you can look at it any way you want. I mean, I know what I risked to do it. Um, you know, I, I, we all put our necks on the line. Um, and it's a, you kind of have to go into that. When you do stuff like that and maybe things like the TT or whatever it is, whatever else you want to do, you have to go into that mindset of like, it's not going to happen to me. So it's like, that's, otherwise you'd never do it. Right, um, right. If you knew that you weren't going to get out of it at the end of it, you'd never put the helmet on. So you, I mean, with with Carlin, I think it. I, I know that he was. I know being the guy who is would be 
bring, would be buying me a beer. If he, you know, if he walked out of there with two broken legs, he'd be buying me a beer that night. Yeah. Um, and that's just kind of the guy, the kind of guy he was. But there will always be, you know, you'll never be able to separate the two, really. Yeah. Um, I'm happy that I won it. It wasn't the way I wanted to win it at all. Um, but you can't change it, so it is what it is. Now, you got selected to go to or, uh, the Isle of Man TT last year, but because of COVID, they didn't have it. So that had to be a real, I mean, how did that play out? First of all, how did you get that? And how psyched were you to know you were going to race that race? Well, I'm, I'm still going to. That's uh, bit, I'm it, going next year. Oh, oh next year. Now, okay, I thought it was going to a couple of weeks. I was like, oh, my God. So, yeah, next year. That's yeah, right. They, they canceled it again this year, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was, man, talk about dragging it out. Like, um, you know, by the time I go and do it, it'll be, what, two years, two years? Three years after, you know, 2019, so yeah, it'd be three years um, after Pikes, which is a hell of a long time. And um, but yeah, I'll be doing it. I'm going to be riding the Super Sport TT for PRF Racing on Suzuki Jetty cars, um, and so that'll be great. Can't wait. You, that has you got to be psyched. I mean, is that is that a dream come true? Is that like one of the oh, little yeah. goals that like you didn't tell anybody, but secretly you were like, the Highland Man TT, that's the one. Well, that was one of the, I never thought I'd get the chance to do it. Like I always wanted to do it. Uh, my dad actually did the race three times uh, back in the seventies uh, and early eighties. Nice. So, yeah, I always wanted to do it. Um, I kind of thought that ship had sort of sailed at that point. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, I ended up getting the offer to go over in November of 2019, basically to um, see if I wanted to do it. Like the, the Isle of Man government uh, asked if I sort of come over and check it out. Paul Phillips, who runs the show over there, he he sort of sh- chauffeured me around a little bit and we had a big meeting and and it was, there was no obligation. But it was like, you know, come and check it out. If you like it, we'll, we'll do it. Uh, if not, no drum, you can go back and it's all good and I, I got there and I was like, it's a pretty intimidating place, but like I know it pretty well just from years and years and years of watching videos and stuff on it. Obviously incredibly different when you until you get there and see it for yourself, but I kind of know where the track goes and I feel like I'm riding at a level where I can back it off enough where I don't think I'm going to take too many risks. Yeah. And um, yeah, we're going to go there and, and give it a crack. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Oh, my God, dude, that's living the dream. I mean, honestly, you've got to be, when you get there, is it going to be more of a, because I don't know how you do it, because you've done, like, you know, with Pikes Peak, you've accomplished that goal, but is there a space where you're like a kid and giddy, like, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, or you have to say, like, okay, I'm here, I'm here for a bit, because I mean, me personally, I geek out on everything, so when I did the, the, tra- the track day last week in Burma, I'm like, I'm doing it, I'm going to be him, I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's just who I am, as a that's why, honestly, if I ever meet Chad Reed, first thing I'm going to do is apologize to him, because I'm always like, when I see him at MotoGP, he has a look in his face like, no, not him again, and I always, for the last six, seven years, I always, Chad Reed, and I got this look like a kid at Christmas, and every year, his face is <laughs> like, hey, man, and he's just like, he's not but he's like, no, why can't he just leave me alone? <laughs> so, so is there a space for you that that you allow yourself to go, I'm doing this, man. And and you got you got that prickly feeling. And you're like, and this, but you also have to go, okay, I'm here for business. I can do it. But is there space that like a little kid you that's like, I'm doing a hell of man? Oh yeah, sure. I mean, you didn't have that excitement 
like that's what drives a lot of this stuff. You know, you get to, to go and do, I mean, I'm very aware of the position I'm in, like it's dream come true, totally. I mean, been wanting to do this since I was yay big. And um, so getting to do it's great, but you then have to go, all right, cool. I can do it. I know I can do it, but the work starts a while ago. Um, so now how do you prepare? Now, how do you prepare for that? Because it's different. It's different from a track day. You're on a, at Rhodes, and it's also going to be on the Isle of Man. So you know you can't really train that way here in the U.S. So how do you prepare for that? Yeah. Well, luckily, you know, we live in a pretty good age where we have very good video games. Um, we have, so the the TT game on PlayStation. Um, so I, that's how I learned Pike's Peak. Was uh, I got on? Um, I had Greg Tracy's YouTube video. And I had the Sebastian Loeb Rally Evo game and I would do two runs in the game, watch a run at, uh, on YouTube and then I'd, yeah, I'd just do that every day. Um, you know, that, it's that theory, that 1% theory, you know, just a little bit every day. Um, so uh, that's the same thing for this. Um, you know, I, I basically, I got to admit, like in the last year, I really, I just kind of went that and too many other things to worry about at the moment. So we're now a year out, about a week ago, I started again, um, where I'm back in the same thing, watch a run, watch a lap, do a lap. And because they're 20 odd minutes, um, you know, on the screen and on the, on the game, then that's 40 minutes out of your day. That's enough. Go away, go do your other things, keep coming back, just do that every day. Just, just keep doing the things and like, and got to remember, I always try to remember if I get a, couple of spare minutes like oh I've got a, I've got a lap on my phone from one of the one of the guys from a few years ago and so I'll just like skim to a point on the phone and I have to stop there and remember what the next two corners are coming up to are behind and then I mean it's pretty I mean unless you're unless you're a bit of a brainiac and I'm most certainly not like I can never remember all the names <laughs> of the places but I can remember at least where I'm going so uh, yeah you just got to remember where you are what's coming up what's behind, what's behind and just keep doing that. I'm actually, I'm hoping to get back over there at the end of the year and like, cause they're still in lockdown over there, but hopefully they're going to open up by July, I think. And I'm going to try and get over there in probably November or December just to do sort of three or four days in a, in a higher car again, just keep lapping just to try and get some more memory in there. And, and then yeah, we'll be back there in May next year to, uh, to, have a, to have a go at it. So um, it, this one's different to Pikes, like, this is like Pikes was a, an event that I knew from the second I got there, I knew I could do well at. Yeah. Um, and whereas, yeah, you're really playing with the big dogs when you go to the TT. Like these, these boys do this stuff for a living. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah, legend, you, man. It's legend. You got Michael Dunlap. You got, uh, I think uh, it's uh, who's retiring. Um, uh, who talked about retiring? The old man. Um, Bruce Anstey. No, I, I know about, about the other one, um, McGinnis. Isn't he retiring? Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know if that guy will ever retire. <laughs> I, I think he talked about but I mean, yeah, you're with, oh, that's, you're with the big guy. How, how do you prepare physically for that? I mean, like physically. Are you doing anything different? Like you running or you trying to get your cardio up? Yeah. Well, it's like just came back from a run. <laughs> just, Good for you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I run, I run every morning anyway just to sort of clear my brain out and um, just to do that, but – Honestly, a lot of it is bike fitness. Um, yeah. And it's, I mean, yeah, I've seen some of the 
the fittest people on earth get on get on bikes and be shagged after five laps. There's yeah. nothing like bike fitness, and that's where the supermoto was so good because you it's very difficult. Basically, you go to a supermoto track, you don't get a break on a supermoto. Like it's up, down, left, right, go there, go there, and that that intensity, that being hours are like what I'd usually do is I'll set myself a, a goal of a lap time and I've got my lap time on there and you got to knock out 30 laps or 20 laps within maybe half a second and just but like not make it so it's like a lap record level right. but just something that is like fast and repeatable so that you just get used to that re- repetitive nature um and consistent that mindset, focused and doing that sort of stuff and then and you know a bit of I mean cardio was always king Carlin was very big on that yeah. um you know and he was all, like before Pikes, he was always very much like super into his cardio. I mean, he was a beast on a mountain bike. Um, I mean, if you ever see if you look stuff up on YouTube, that guy was gnarly as hell. So, like, he was always on his mountain bike and his cardio fitness was through the roof. And so, when he told me about that a number of years ago, I started taking it a lot more seriously and that made a big difference. So, yeah, but mainly it's like a, it's a, don't drink too much. Um, <laughs> that's not like a, it's not like it's gonna be a problem for you. Like, oh, I'm not the drink. Yeah, I gotta stop I mean, drinking. Gosh, yeah. it kind of is sometimes. I'm just like, oh, no, bitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I need to try and pull that out a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, keep going on all of it. So it's all. But yeah, there's a whole bunch of things, but it's all common sense stuff, you know. Like, yeah, you know, just don't overcomplicate your life with with stuff that doesn't really need to be there just have a clear mind and go there and have fun here's the part that i never ask you guys like how do you explain that to the wife or does she understand and how does she understand i mean because you know you have a wife but it's like that bike is a passion and it's like a lot of riding is fun and how do you like look so forward to riding but you gotta go hey honey hey i missed you and you're like uh i mean i don't know there's a, there's a french movie where this guy wanted to be a, a motorcycle racer but he has to keep a day job and long story short he had to help his ex-girlfriend out she was in trouble with these drug dealers she had to help he had to help her out and he told him to run from the law on the motorcycle and so they finally get their life cleaned up and he didn't get he didn't have a shot at being a motorcycle racer again but they're sitting in a restaurant and he's trying to concentrate on her, and he hears this motorcycle, and she's talking, and you see it's eating him up inside, and he has, he has to turn his head to see what kind of bike it is. And that scene is a scene for purists, for like people like us to like, the bike is everything. I mean, you love your woman, and she's talking, you're listening, but you hear that bike, you're like, oh. And he, and he had to just kind of turn and look what kind of bike it was. And it's that subtlety that people yeah. like you like, will get. So how do you, how do you compartmentalize, uh, compartmentalize that with your wife? I mean, does she understand? Does she come in knowing, hey, he loves me, but it's, <laughs> the bikes are here, and I'm somewhere around here. He loves me, but the bikes are here. Like, how, do, how do you compartmentalize that? Uh, oh, man, she knew what she signed up for. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to show her this. I'm a- <laughs> She knew she knew it was going to be a a different life. But, uh, no, I mean like she's. It's that thing of like being in a being in a huge bike family for generations. I mean, she knew that I was going to be involved in it. Probably didn't realize it was going to get to this extent. Where <laughs> yeah. I mean, have you had to have you had to, had to explain it to her? I mean, has it ever got to that argument? Like, well, what's it going to be? The bikes? Or, has it ever got to that? Or she goes. 
you know, it'd be kind of nice if you like, you know, would maybe spend some time with me and the kid instead of just going out riding. I mean, has it ever got to that? Has it ever gotten to that one time? No, it hasn't got to that yet. Thank God. Okay. But, uh, I mean, that's a, I, mean, I suppose that's the one good thing with uh, having motorcycling as a job is that like after a while, like I do t- tend to just take a bit of decompression and sort of move back a bit and go and drink some cocktails somewhere. But, uh, <laughs> I got. I wish I could hear because I mean, we you can talk a good game with just me and you here. But I wish she was there and I'm like and, and have you explain it because it's always a little different when they're there next to you. you know, you no, she, trust me, like it wouldn't. She she would be like, yeah, that's basically it. <laughs> but, uh, does she enjoy yeah. bikes as well though? Does she does she ride? Yeah, or? yeah, she she would come for for rides on the back and all that. And I mean, she's got all her own gear and whatever. But since. Uh, since the little guys rocked up, you know, there hasn't been a lot of riding on the back. And because, and like, being both of us being Aussies, we, we don't really have, well, we don't have any family or anything over here. So, we don't, so babysitting is a little bit harder to come by. But now he's getting a bit older. Like, he's four now. So, he'll we'll be able to start doing that a little bit more again. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, we've had some great times. We've done a lot of riding together. Back in the early days, we used to ride everywhere. And, um, and yeah, she was, she loved it. And it was, a, it was always a great thing. I mean, it's always such a nice thing to go riding with your partner and, um, yeah, it's a, it's a good bonding thing. So yeah, we've, uh, yeah, that's, that's the way that our family kind of has always been. And, um, and too, like even our friends back in Australia, like we're all connected because of bikes really. Like, you know, at least all the guys are anyway. I mean, all the ladies and all of that, they're all become friends because their right. husbands have all become friends and, you know, it's just sort of the way it is, but you know, every one of us has got bikes and um, that's just the, the way we are kind of deal. We kind of gravitate towards each other. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. I mean, but it, you know how lucky you are. It's like, I, I don't really have a girlfriend, but I got somebody, you know, kind of seeing, and I think she understands, but it's like, it's like, no matter how good of a time I have with her, I'm always thinking, Moto, like I remember being in a hotel room with her and, and like MotoGP was starting up and I was like, hey, listen, um, I'll be give me about forty five minutes, and I'd watch Moto three, and come back, and we'd have a conversation like Moto two's on. Watch Moto two, and then I come back, and when GP's on, I, I had to explain to her, listen, don't say a word to me, please. I'm not being mean, but Moto GP's on, and if you say a word, I'll have to put you out. I mean, I, and that's the way it is with me. So you don't know how lucky you are for somebody to understand that part of your life. Yeah, I mean, it's cool. Like it's great fun, especially when like you now little guy gets into it. Like well. We'll sit down and uh, we've got a really good bakery up the road. So we'll go and get a bunch of croissants and come back and sit down and watch MotoGP together. And, and he loves it. And so it's, a, it's all good. So, I mean, it, it's it's who we are. You know, this is this is the life. So God damn, that's beautiful. It, it really is beautiful, man. I love, and you know what's funny is I like I was going to get I was going to start off with this. But then we got started with your life and bikes. And I was like, yeah. And now it's like, oh, I forget. You're in this bagger racing league. Uh, you're racing. No, yeah. Yeah, and and to me, that is, it is what it is. But I think it's it's going to be bigger here in the United States, and, and they, I think people from Europe have a look like oh, these Americans are crazy. But the bagger race, please explain it to the people who don't know, because honestly, I don't know how to feel about it. But I think it's neat because it's something new and different. And I think I would love to see. A, I actually I would love to see a Hell's Ra- a Hell's Angels racing team. I think that'd be. 
great. <laughs> I think it'd be so great to see those guys show up on the grid with like a leather, but then they had the, the vest and everything like Hells Angels Racing. How great they have the tassels, Hells Angels Racing, and nobody messes with those guys. They, they don't go hard in the corners with them or nothing like that. Yeah, <laughs> So, so the people, the people who don't understand, please explain the Bagger Racing League. Well, look, to be honest, I'm kind of in the dark a bit about it. I mean, I know, uh, I mean, I'm racing the, uh, so Roland Sands, who, um, I mean, everyone knows who Roland Sands is, like, yes. he asked me to ride his uh, big twin, the, the Indian chief big twin that they're building, which I was just so stoked at, like. You know, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Roland is a god. And um, so for, to get asked by him to race one of his bikes is pretty cool. And So, yeah, they have built this bike. Um, I don't know how many classes there are, but the, the main class is the, the actual bagger class that has, I um, mean, they've got lots of big money bikes, big money bikes that go out to these things. I mean, like, you can build a bloody fast superbike for about, third about what some of these bikes are worth really like, really oh yeah dude no doubt like the the bike that woolly built um so michael Woolley, who uh was ex dais now at saddleman Corey west is racing his bike um the bike that those guys built man like you don't get much change out of 120 grand for for that bike like it's serious, serious cash. Like if you just say you walk, you walk up there and go, "I want that," because they have to build it. Like they have to build most of the stuff on there. There's so much fabrication work that's involved in that. Wow. So, yeah, it's I, when he told me, I was like, "Ah, I couldn't believe it." So, um, yeah, they've rolling. So that's for the big. That's that's for the bagger racing. So yeah, bagger class that Tyler Hare is racing at, and a few others. Like guys, serious dudes and. Um, so yeah, then they got the big twins class, and that's the one I'm going to be racing in. It's basically the bagger class without the bags. <laughs> so, yeah. I look so yeah. forward to seeing this man. That looks so neat. It's something new. It's you know, put a little. Imp- a, 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 I think sometimes. You know, you got to have people who aren't really purists in the sport to advance it, or at least have people. And it's got a little bit of a, a Ringling Brothers kind of Barker, surf, uh, you know, circus kind of like. Let's take a peek and see what you guys are doing. And and I don't see anything wrong with that at all. You know what I mean? If anything, it's going to get more people to motorcycling. I'm all for it. So, man, I, I congratulate uh, you on that, buddy. Oh man, it's the it's the most American thing ever for another. <laughs> <laughs> so I, mean, I was stoked. Like, when I when I turned up there, I was like, because it's it's very much it has that that super hooligan kind of vibe to it. Yes, like yes. Uh, yeah, I mean that that same thing. I mean, I remember when I was here about the same time when the hooligan thing started, and and just to see how massive that got all around the world. Like, yeah, that was incredible. Like when you look back on how subcultures within motorcycling have evolved. I mean, nothing went from that small to that big that I can think of for decades. So this is the evolution really of that. And we'll we'll get out there and have a crack. And I don't know how long it'll last. I hope it lasts forever, but like it might be one of those things that people get super pumped on and, and then kind of fade out and do other things. And, but who knows, man? Like uh, I'm, I'm keen to give it a crack and, and sort of run it for as long as I can. 
I like I just that's what I love about motorcycling is the subcultures within motorcycling. You know, you got the the Grom culture. You know, the people were people were stretching out uh, that Honda, um, the Ruckus. You know, remember the, the, the they had Ruckus crews. People were stretching out Ruckus. I mean, that's what I love about motorcycling. It's so great. I mean, the the, the subcultures within the culture. You know what I mean? Yeah, and the good thing about it too, and this is what I, I mean, this is one thing I love about riding, which just bikes in general, is that like most people that I can think of, most people think that pretty much every other subculture in bikes is cool, whether they whether they can do it or not. I mean, like you watch uh, Tony Bow, the the trials rider. Oh my man. God! Yes. If you're not impressed by that, man, you just like go do something else. Seriously, the guy's just like a—he's like a magician with a motorcycle. Did you see him on the African Twin? What he did with yeah. the African Twin? Yeah, insane. He rode up just, the tree, yeah. straight up the tree. Yeah. Oh my, yeah. yeah, man, that dude's incredible. Yes, oh. yes. So, but you see that, and then you go and see your Grom culture. You go and see like—I love watching all the stuff that comes out of Japan. So like you see like the, the Japanese Jim Carter videos with guys on pop bikes. Yes. It's like, man, you got no chance of outrunning those guys, dude. It's like, man, that's that's cool. Yeah. Like, yes. Yeah. Yes. and bloody hooligan racing and then scooters down in Italy. It's like it's all good. It's all fun. Yeah, man, I do. I mean, God, no, we, I, I, before I wrap it up, I want to I get top fives out of you, man, because I know you've been around, and that's why I loved your Instagram. I'm like, and, and that's when I got mad. I go, why, why aren't me and this guy friends? I'm looking at everything you've done. I go, this guy, he rides like the way I want to ride. Like, so I'm asking you real quick, have you ever thought about doing a dad car since you've done everything else? Oh, man, I'd love to, but that's, I mean, I would definitely love to do it. It would be, it'd be a hell of a thing. I'd love to do some, I've done some desert racing, but like I've never done um, roadmap desert riding. I mean, I'd love to do it, but it's just like, that's probably a serious pipe dream, really. Like, um, you know, when you see some of the, I know a friend of mine in the UK is actually doing it next year. He's, he's um, getting prepared for it and he's doing a lot of stuff to do it on the side. Um, I remember talking to Alexander Smith, so Michael, Malcolm Smith's son and, all the stuff that he had to go through to do his Dakar and I think he did in 2016 or something, 15. And uh, I'd love, I meant, yeah, I'd love to have a crack at it, but yeah, I don't, I don't know, unless I, unless I fall ass backwards into a pile of money and then I have to work for a year and maybe, maybe I'll get a bit <laughs> <laughs> if anybody can do it, man, I got faith in you, man. If anybody can do it, I got yeah, faith yeah. in you. Okay. Yeah, totally. So give me your top five, your top five dream bikes that you've ridden, that you've ridden, top five bikes that you've ridden. Uh, the first one for sure is the Britain. Um, so the Britain V1000. Um, if anything, just for the story behind the bike and just how – gobsmackingly beautiful the thing is and uh and you know i was one of at the time i think three journalists prior to me had ever ridden one mm-hmm. um this was back in 2010 i think um and yeah i got to ride that thing and that was just i mean if you've ever, if you want to see an incredible bike movie one man's dream the the john Britton story you okay. gotta see that like, okay uh, I don't know. I, it used to be on YouTube, but I mean, if you Google it, you've got to find it. Uh, it's the story about how they built this thing, how these guys in Christchurch, New Zealand, built this bike, and you know, the dude's making 
crankcases in his wife's pottery kiln, <laughs> water from his bloody pool. I mean, it's just the most insane story. Um, um, and really tragic too, because obviously uh, John died at 45 from cancer and the motorcycling lost a, a brilliant brain, you know, real sort of out there kind of guy. And uh, so, yeah, the Britain V1000, uh, the best bike in terms of just like sheer awesomeness that I've ever rode was Johnny Ray's Superbike, Jonathan Ray's That was wild. Um, that was, and it was wild not because like, yeah, it's super, I mean, the thing had a motor on it, like you just couldn't believe, but it was just so easy to ride. Like, I mean, people look at these things and they go, oh, these things must be bloody impossible to ride. But you could get on that thing and ride to the shops, no problem. Like, it was so plush, but it was plush but stiff at the same time. Like, it was just this beautifully compliant suspension. And I've got to admit, like, I was, I'd only ever done, I rode it at Aragon in Spain. And I'd only ever done four laps around Aragon prior to jumping on Johnny Ray's bike. Yeah. So I had no idea where I was going. Yeah. So, and I, I think they kind of made that the case so that you didn't push very hard. And uh, I, I mean, if I had gone to if I'd gone to Valencia uh, or something like that or Catalonia, I could have given that thing a, a bit more of a caning. But I was so petrified of a crashing thing, but also didn't know where the hell I was going. And because Aragon's a very difficult circuit to learn, didn't get as much out of it as much as, as what I could have. But yeah, that was just a fantastic bike man yeah. just awesome um, i couldn't tell you how it's like at apple absolutely high, high level performances i didn't get it there but i mean in terms of just like amazing bike yeah th- there was that one um probably my geez there's so many far out i don't know like i love riding trials bikes yeah um yeah like not any particular trials bike, but just I love the the finesse that you got to have with trials riding. Um, the just the you know you you and the stuff that you can ride up on a trials bike that you don't actually need. I mean, not Tony Bow level of skill, but like you just need to just have a bit of an understanding about what you have to do. And you can I've seen people that have never ridden trials bikes and get on them and ride up a lot of cool stuff. Um, and they they teach you so much about. I mean, it's that thing of like almost like crawling before we can walk theory like you you know you're very light deliberate subtle movements and just being able to make a bike do little things here and there yeah that's that's really really cool um i think it's very very underrated uh trials riding you can teach you everything i mean like kevin schwantz grew up riding trials i mean he's one of the best grand prix riders of all time yeah um so like just those little little finite motor skills mm-hmm. um yeah, I love that kind of stuff. Um, geez. How about, I, the, how about the Desmo Sedici? I don't want to uh, 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 put words in your mouth, but I just think the Desmo Sedici, I think maybe I've 2000. I've never ridden the Desmo. Oh. No, never got to ride. I've ridden the Superleggera, but I haven't, I never got to ride the Desmo. Um, so. I've, always, I've always said that's the most beautiful bike ever. I mean, for me personally, the one I've ever seen, that's the most beautiful bike that I've ever Yeah, I've never. Ridden. I actually started one the other week and um, we, were at, we were at this guy's shop, Iconic Motorbikes in Santa, Bar- in Santa Monica. And yeah, like I just fired it up and just gave a few revs. And it's like, 
that thing revs like two strokes. I mean, the crankshaft must be about that big. So it just bloody spins up so quick. Yeah. And, uh, and it's like, man, that's a racing engine. Like, that's that's cool. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, what else? Um, I've ridden a lot of, I've ridden a lot of classic bikes. Like I've ridden uh, matchless G50s and things like that, um, which are beautiful jewel little things. Yeah. You know, very simplistic, um, you know, racing bike, 100% a racing bike but very simple in their design. Um, very, very pretty bikes. Like the, you know, you could go, you can go way quicker on a one, two, five Grand Prix bike, but that's not the point of the, the exercise. Like you, like we had our, like dad had a matchless for years when I was growing up and we had the thing in our living room and like, cause it was just a beautiful piece of art really. Uh, yeah. yeah. So that was great. And I, I love all that sort of stuff. Um, so I put I put the G50 up there, just the last one, man. I gotta say, like probably, probably uh, a bike that anybody could buy, which was in terms of what maybe in terms of not their overall experience, but just what it can do for you, where it can go, was the KTM 790 slash 890 adventure bikes. Yes, uh, I love those. Yeah, dude, those things are sick. Like, <sighs> Those things will make you feel like a god. Uh, you can ride up those things, ride in it, ride them anywhere, do anything on them. I had, Fantastic. I had a chance to, I did a demo ride, and the guy was supposed to go with, uh, follow the guy when he goes, you know, BT, I'm tired, but he goes, here's the key, go have fun. He goes, but if you wreck it, it's yours. I said, okay. And when I left, I swear I wanted a cop to chase me because I wanted to go. I, Because I, my fantasy has always been the Dakar. Always. In the back of my mind, no matter what I'm doing, it's always Dakar. If it's raining, I'm thinking Dakar. So I wanted a cop to chase me so bad in that bike. I got chased <laughs> around. That is the greatest to me. It's one of the greatest bikes ever, man. Okay. Yeah. One, one more answer before we leave. One more answer before we leave, man. We're running behind us. I'm sorry. But one more answer. Greatest, the best country to ride in. Best country to ride in. One word answer. <sighs> Uh, if you had to pick, gun to your head. America. <laughs> and, I'm not, and I'm not saying that just because I live here, because we've just got everything in America. Yeah. Like, you, you can go to, I mean, Australia's bloody good too, but America, you can ride mountains, you can ride desert, you can ride coast, you can do bloody, you can ride lakes, you can do anything. Like, America has the, in terms of just in one country, yeah. I think America's got got it as far as like the, the best ride we've got some of the best racetracks in the world like well, it's we've got a pretty good over here it's it's not bad greatest australian moto gp rider casey one stoner. casey stoner yeah yes stoner. yeah, yeah. That, like, for me like i've seen that dude i mean mick doing mick doing was amazing too uh he was the guy who would just succeed through sheer bullheaded determination kind of thing and same with Wayne Gardner in a way, um, you know, but then Christopher Mullen was a very good rider as well. But Casey just had that magic touch, man. Like, yes. I've seen him do things on a bike that should not be able to be done. And like the, one of the cool things is every year at Phillip Island, I, I went to Phillip Island for 14 years in a row. And, and when Casey was in Grand Prix, I used to go to the what is now Stoner Corner, Turn Three. Yes. Um, used to go there for final qualifying, watch him there. And then he would go through there. Well, I had goosebumps thinking about it. Like he would go through there and 
most people would go, and he would go, and just shut the throttle, get a little bit away on the front, and then just pull the trigger. And that thing just went, and it was just, he was light years faster than everybody else. And that was just in one section of the track. He was completely unbeatable at that circuit. But I mean, yeah, he's a bit of an enigma. He likes to keep to, him and to himself very much so. And, yeah. And fair enough too, but man, that guy was an absolute god on a motorcycle. Oh, yes, man, you said it right there, buddy. I mean, from the bottom of my heart, man. I, man, I, 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 I was looking forward to this because I love talking to people I never talked to before. We had no history at all, and I loved that going in because it made me, you know, more focused at all, you know, on everything. But like I said, I saw your Instagram. I go, this guy, we should be buddies. You do everything. I said we should be, and because then you know people that I know. I mean, I know uh, Heath from uh, from Alpine Star. I know he left a comment on one of your things, and and you were you were backing into a corner, and some dude was like, "How did you do that without the traction control?" I mean, it was. I mean, it was. was Yes, and you got great stand-up wheelies, and I was like, "Me and this guy should be buddies." So now I'm following you on both my accounts, my Tales from the Gemini account, and and my regular one. So we're gonna, you're gonna teach me how to do a stand-up wheelie. When I see you, we're gonna teach me how to do a stand-up wheelie. Yeah, man, we'll, we'll go riding. Let's let's hook it up. Let's do it. Let's get with Alan. We're going to go ride with Sport Bikes Inc. Because Alan, and thank you, by the way, Alan from Sport Bikes Inc. He set this uh, this up, and I appreciate that. I just love finding new people to talk to and pick their brain. And, man, honestly, I want to ride with you. I wish you the best in uh, Isle of Man TT. If you guys get a chance, thank Psycho you. News, Moto Journalist, Rennie Skaysbrook. Man, I cannot begin to thank you enough for this. I mean it from the bottom of my heart, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, Hey, man, get on a plane and come down to Utah and come to the Bagger Racing League in a couple of weeks. Dude, you know what? You never know. I mean, I've got nothing to do and all day to do it. So, I have. I mean, I just might do it. I mean, if on the bottom line, I just might. I, I, I got my Multistrata, my Pikes Peak Multistrata named after you. I just might come <laughs> We'll love to do it, man. Hey, listen, I got to go. Rennie, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate that. Thank you guys from Tales from Gemini for watching. Okay. And like I say around this time, you know the word. Pay.